you hire you for your replacement because you don't be in that role. You want to grow into another role and you've got to pick somebody that you can groom to take over for you. Absolutely. People find that as a threat to the, to their to their their control mechanism. They find that as a threat to they don't it's like, no, nah, I'm not why am I going to somebody take my job? Well, isn't that what leadership's about? Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. Today, my guest is Ruben Miner, who's the president of RAM Consulting Group, an organization that focuses on speaking, training, and coaching individuals and groups regarding leadership, team dynamics, relationship building, diversity, equity, and inclusion, fundamental business philosophies, discovering your personal why, and business and personal branding. Ruben is a leader with a rich and resourceful network of professionals across the business spectrum, ranging from influential political figures to educational leaders and entrepreneurs. Ruben leverages his network to make more meaningful connections for his clients and business partners that evolve into lasting mutual beneficial relationships. Ruben also served this country for 15 years in the U.S. Navy as a Supply Corp officer. He's a John Maxwell certified professional speaker, trainer, and coach, and intimately engaged in the community serving as president of the Council for the Village of Galena and board chair of the BST&G Fire District. Ruben enjoys spending time with family, history, movies, and hiking, and as a side note, he's a professional speaker. And we do have a little bit of that conversation towards the end of this episode. So before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. Off script, Mastering the Art of Business Improv is available for purchase on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. If you'd like to learn more about the book or better yet order a copy, go to offscriptimprov.com and order your copy by just clicking, click to order button. If you'd like to buy 10 or more books, please contact me so I can offer you a bulk discount. You can reach me through my email at peter at petermargaritas.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast and share this episode with a friend. I would greatly appreciate if you leave a review of the show wherever you download your podcast from. Also, please visit my newly rebranded YouTube channel, Peter A. Margaritas, CSP, CPA, Biz Improv Virtuoso, where you can see previous podcast video episodes along with this one. While you're there, just hit the subscribe button so you won't miss any updates. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, 
that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders. A story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in person and on site at your location, or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Now, let's get to the interview with Ruben Miner. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, man, this is going to be so much fun. My, 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 I hope I can call him a good friend. I think I can call him a good friend. I think you can call me a really good friend. A really good friend, Ruben Miner, yes. who has been on the podcast before, so he's a repeat offender. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I'm thinking about starting. I, I just had this idea of coming up. If I can get people to be a five-time guest, I'm thinking about giving a jacket like you do for the SNL five timers or something like that. Oh man, listen, I will be the first one to sport it, buddy. <laughs> really, I, on. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to spend some time with me. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. You know, I heard someone say a long time ago, if you don't make time for friends, you won't have any. So <laughs> let's make this happen. Let's make this happen, and uh, let's just come out. Let's just come out of the shoot with it strong. Um, emotional intelligence, you know, it, yes. it's you know, a lot of people go, "What is that? And what does it mean?" And and, and you know, it's it's kind of are they people skills? Is it something? So, for the audience, for those who might not know what emotional intelligence is, what is your definition of emotional intelligence? You know, I'm glad you said that, uh, what, that you ask it uh, in that way, because you can come up with, you know, the dictionary version of what emotional intelligence is. But I think even with that, I think everyone still has their own idea of what that means. So thank you for uh, posing the question in that way. So to me, emotional intelligence is the ability to process information that's being received and it going through a filter system in your mind that it helps you to dissect what's being said, what the intention is behind it, so that your response to what you are processing will be emotionally appropriate. And the reason why I feel it that way is because oftentimes when we receive information, it's going through damaged filters. And based on traumas and and bad relationships, and so the way we say things to ourselves, the tr- our truths, with my air quotation marks up, mm-hmm. truths, truths, are being processed, and that's damaging. So if you know, if you don't have perspective enough, or maturity, or even a healed emotional sense of being, then you're going to process what you're hearing or what's being done to you in a very damaging way. And therefore, the output of that is just more of the same. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it does. And, and I, 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 as you as you say that, I think of some of, I, I think of the ego, our ego. If we have an overdeveloped ego, then we might not be as emotionally intelligent because our ego is speaking to what it's, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. And, and we're not watching that filter. We're not communicating in an emotionally connecting way. You know, I think it's, you know, other people have a different perspective about this, and that's fine. But I think of emotional intelligence like sales. Either you naturally have it and you're good at it and it can be sharpened, or you recognize you don't have it and it just becomes a difficult process for you to gain that. Right. Because I think life through maturity and through uh, experiences kind of gives us a fresh start on how we view things. And so for me, I look at that as an opportunity for somebody that's naturally good at it, like somebody that's athletically talented. They can do any sport, right? Because it's just right. naturally in them. Now, that it can be sharpened and some things can be learned, but there's an innate ability that exists. I think some of us are born with an innate ability to process information in an appropriate way Right. Because we have the characteristics of I'm a people person. I know how to connect. I have empathy naturally. So I know how to listen. I know how to give people a safe place to speak. I understand what it means to be heard. All those things, I think, play a part of how your emotional intelligence uh, 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 radar is leveraged. I agree. And in full transparency, my emotional intelligence in my early part of my career didn't exist. Uh, ego existed. So I, I was, yeah. Uh, it wasn't really until I got into the world of improv and, and started to learn more about it in such an indirect way that the ability to listen, the ability to understand, the ability to watch someone's body language, the ability to, to take all of these you know, feeders in and process it and, and try to make that emotional connection. Where a lot of time we were putting our agendas in front of that emotional connection and didn't really care. I like that. I like that. And, but you know, let me ask you a question, Peter. I know the interview is on me, but you just brought this up. I thought I could, I could <laughs> you've got a right. podcast. You, you're you a host. You can flip it around. <laughs> so you know, with you being such an expert at improv, right? I think you are an example that what of what's what I'm talking about with someone who has just a natural ability to connect. Mm -hmm. And in that, in that ability to connect, then you automatically come with this uh, inventory of, I know how to listen. I know how to understand what people are saying. I might not agree. I might not like it. But in that moment, you can improvise your way through a scenario, through a conversation, how to engage. Probably when things become heated, if there's confrontation, that seems to me that it's kind of natural for you. So I can understand where you say your ego maybe played a part mm -hmm. and you were maybe a little bit ignorant to some of those emotional intelligence characteristics and tactics mm -hmm. and whatever. But I think that it, it goes right back to what I said. Some things are innate in us. I have always been a people person. I've you always know. been someone I know, right? 
So I, I got it honest. My mom and my dad are both people personally, both are extreme extroverts. So I just didn't have any choice but to just be the, <laughs> the ball of the room, my man. So, and so for me, it's always been easy. And, and typically what you're good at, you're doing it all along, even as a kid. And I was always the one trying to, you know, bridge all the conflicts together. Let's all be friends. Let's 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 make sure we just kick away all the frustration let's get to the bottom of what we're talking about let's have fun as kids trying to like mend other people's beefs always looking out for the underdog that's just who i am so now you fast forward from a kid into an adult into an experienced professional that stuff has always been in me so what i've learned over the last few years is only really enhanced what's already there and that's what i believe what makes you so successful so successful is because you have enhanced what you naturally already have within you. Um, I, I, as you were describing your youth, I grew up in a Greek American family who the only way we could shut up is to sit on our hands. Someone once told me, says, you're really gregarious. I said, well, is that good or bad? Let me go look it up in the thesaurus or something. I don't know. But yeah. I, I, I grew up in that environment. And I'm not knocking this, but when I went to work in public accounting, I I had to temper all of that. I had to stifle it. Like Edith would, you know, Archie would tell Edith, I had to stifle that emotional yeah. intelligence because it wasn't deemed an asset. It was, you know, data, facts, and figures. And I had all this other stuff. But once I got out of that and became, then that all kind of resurfaced again. Yeah. And And I try to be very self-aware. Mm-hmm. of my of my emotions um and i i i'm better at it business wise than personally but i've gotten better over the years personally mm-hmm. with it um I, I was sharing a story that my son came up to me one day says daddy you always yell at me no i don't yell at you oh, God, <laughs> I, I, I do and what i I realized that I was I was not using yes and I was using no and because and, and pushing my agenda. So I yeah. I cognizantly would respond to him after that point. Yes, Stephen, I hear you. And what's your thoughts? It turned it more into a conversation. Yeah. And after about three months, he came back and says, "Daddy, why don't you love me anymore? You're not yelling at me." Wow. Oh, I felt like the, you know I get the greatest dad award taken away if I ever got it. And I, oh I told God. him. I said, Stephen, I'm using yes and. Remember those two magic words? Yes. What was I using before? No, but because. And then we had this dueling dialogue that nobody was listening. It was just, you know, escalating. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're right, Dad. Yes, and. And and I think that was that 25 years of living in that world of of improvisation has really helped me become more self-aware now than I ever was in the past. That's beautiful, man. That that speaks to not just becoming more self-aware, but just the natural maturation process <laughs> yeah. in this field, right? Let me give an example. So I'm a singer. You know that, right? Yeah, so I know that. I yeah. My local church, right? And one day after, I think after we finished singing, we got off the stage and I was walking, you know, to the cafe to get some coffee. And I mind you, this is a very diverse church. So you have, mm-hmm. I'm telling this church like the United Nations, there's a little bit of everybody in there. And so this very sweet, very sweet older white lady came to me. <laughs> she said, Ruben, you know what? I just love when you sing and you worship. 
I tell you, my husband and I, we just sit back. We just lift up our heads. And she's like modeling what they're doing. She's saying, we just lift up our heads and worship and we just think of Africa. And I froze in my <laughs> steps. And I said to myself before I responded, lady, I ain't never been to Africa. So I don't know what you're hearing and what you're feeling, but maybe you should tell me. But here's emotional intelligence and maturity at play. I knew that lady meant well. She didn't mean any offense. She was just paying me a compliment and saying how it blesses her. And that was sweet. So my response to her was after all that processing, I said, Oh, God bless you. I'm so glad. Well, listen, you have a magnificent day. She said, thank you so much. Now, let's rewind 10 years. And she just said that. I was like, well, what you trying to say? <laughs> yeah. Because that song wasn't African. That was a, white, a contemporary Christian song. Yeah. yeah. So it was really funny. But I learned something here, man especially when it comes to this whole diversity and race thing, DEI thing, it's, it takes a, a special savvy, Peter, to mm -hmm. be sensitive in moments like that, to know how to respond and not hurt someone. Because easily someone else really could have hurt her feelings. Mm -hmm. But I knew exactly where she was coming from. So emotional intelligence, being able to read the person, the body language, mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier, is important. And this one term, I love uh, when I was going through my diversity, equity, inclusion certification at Cornell, and it was um, psychological safety. Yes. It is so important to understand what it is. And most of the time we're already doing it, but just being more intentional about mm -hmm. it. So that means psychological safety is how do I create an environment where a person feels safe enough to say and express what is on their mind and their heart. And if you are able to provide an atmosphere of uh, psychological safety, then you get a person that can share their whole heart because they feel like, okay, I'm being heard. I'm not being judged, mm -hmm. but I'm being heard. And everybody wants to be heard. As a natural thing inside of us, we all want to be heard and understood. So I think when you have the ability to exercise psychological safety, I think that's the foundation of building great relationships. I, I couldn't agree with you a thousand percent. And the challenge is <laughs> uh -huh. the corporate culture allowing psychological safety, embracing the concept of psychological safety. Because a lot of times if you speak in different lockstep with what management wants, Ruben, you're not a team player. And now you're relegated over here just because you have different thoughts, different beliefs. Trust me, I've been told that a lot in my corporate life. Yeah, yeah. But I think differently. You know, Peter, that's that's a really good point. And I think now, post-COVID, um, I think corporations have learned a lot. I think they've learned how to, in fact, Simon Sinek had a video on LinkedIn and he talked about the great resignation and how so many people lost their jobs and then realized when work came back around, they didn't have to become subject to the, the abuse, the corporate abuse and the co corporate boundaries, uh, these toxic environments. And people recognize, I have a choice here. I don't have to stay here and take this. I can go somewhere else. 
I can start my own business. I can redefine my future. And I think by doing that, I think it's causing a shift, not just in how the corporate culture embraces the employees and provide that psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's the beginning of the change of the shift. This is not something that's going to change overnight. This is a behavior that has been in place for decades. And when behaviors have been in place for decades, it does not change overnight. It's going to be a constant uh, intentional effort by those in leadership and those in leadership are going to be, should be mandated to in, in some type of annual training to make sure they're keeping in step with what the culture is in the corporate community. And you can no longer have these toxic toxic environments and think that your professionals, these people that's been working there for years, are going to continue under that type of leadership. It's just not happening these days. If the pandemic had never happened, we would still be in the same place. But I believe the pandemic, as awful as it has been, has really birthed a brand new way of thinking in all of us from a corporate perspective, from a professional perspective, and from a personal perspective. We've seen things differently. So almost like it's this, this disease, this trauma, this once in a hundred years experience is causing us to grow up. I agree. And there's a little trepidation in that, that agreement. I, I believe it's now filtering itself into corporate leadership. But we still have those. And it's been well documented. Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan Chase basically mandated everybody had to come back into the office. There's no if, ands, or buts. And people left. And talking about, we talking about, you know, psychological safety or emotional intelligence. The CEO of, I think it was Better.com, an online mortgage company, fired 700 employees over a Zoom call. Oh, my. So, uh, and you hear these. You, it, so it's still out there. But I agree with you. I, 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 I agree that we're as that older leadership is retiring mm-hmm. and the younger leadership's coming up, that's why it's becoming more popular. I believe, or, or, I want, or embracing. I wonder if there, if there could be some statistics out there that speak to if you surveyed 100 companies, corporations, Fortune mm-hmm. 500 organizations, how many would be like the one you just described that uh, terminated all those employees over Zoom? Mm-hmm. And compare that to how many companies have decided to embrace mm-hmm. emotional intelligence and creating a more healthier uh, corporate environment. I dare say that the person, the organization that fired those folks over Zoom is probably one of a few. Uh, the reason why I say that, and I could be wrong because I don't have any data, but just based on my own engagement and conversations with other professionals we're, and HR professionals at that, we're finding that companies are taking it very seriously on how they engage their employees. I heard, uh, I read a story years ago. I don't remember the the, uh, the author of the story, but it's a company that started out West and the owner of the company, the CEO, would stand at the gate, the entrance and exit of the building, and he would wave to his employees as they leave home, leave to go mm-hmm. home from work. The reason why he did that is he said, I want to personally thank and then see me appreciate that they are my greatest asset. That is cl- that is powerful, and, and, and we, we 
I don't mean, I'm not being the devil's advocate in this, uh, and, and I support it, and, and I believe in it. Um, but we hear a story, you know, I went, so I, I'd speak to a group of accountants, CPAs, and ask them what business they're in. Well, we're in tax, we're consulting, we're this, I said, no, that's a byproduct of business. That's a byproduct of whatever business you are in. And I get to the point that somebody wants to come up and punch me. And I go, wow. the business, the business that turns in the people business. Without people, you have no business. Without people, you have no employees. Without people, you have no customers, clients, or whatever. So we need to treat our people better like human beings and mm-hmm. not like a number. And I'm seeing that more and more happen. I'm, I'm starting to hear more and more of those stories, like like you like you said. And there's a Harvard Business Review of uh, was that, I think Campbell's Soup Company CEO would would purposely and intentionally walk the manufacturing floor and get to know the people that was working there, and would, would have would write make sure he knew the names of the family members, birthdays and stuff. And he was sending the cards out to them because he wanted to know. And you said the word that he appreciated their mm-hmm. efforts. I got another example for you. I actually uh, read an article about the CEO of an insurance company that recently launched. And they were attending to their customers uh, doing the wildfires in California last year. Mm. And the CEO was out there with his claims representatives giving out his cell phone number. Wow. So if they had questions or concerns or they felt like they weren't being heard, they could feel free to call him. <sighs> Blew my mind. Mm. Because how many are going to be out there? Now, that can be viewed two ways. Number one, um, he's a control freak. I don't know. Maybe so. Mm-hmm. But what I think in this moment, he's thinking about how can I help my team and how can I let our customers know that they are our priority? They have right. lost the greatest asset that they have, their home. Mm-hmm. They have nowhere to go. So what can we do as they're covering to help them find some normalcy as much as possible until they transition back to normal life? And I think that's the kind of leadership that is needed across the board, not just in the insurance industry, mm-hmm. but guys right. on universities, in the government, the, oh my God, the private sector, public sector, <laughs> across the spectrum, globally even. Right. That's the approach that we know. Of course, not every leader can do that. They can't get out on the field and be boots on ground. No, they can't do that in every case. But I think this was just an example of the posture, I think, that's required for leadership today. John Maxwell said it in his five points of leadership. He said that when you reach the pinnacle level, level five, it is so important that you build uh, a succession plan to have people that can take your place. Because if you build this wonderful organization, if you build this wonderful group and community of individuals and professionals, but yet you do not groom someone to take your place after, your organization and your business will fall apart. And I believe this CEO has that mindset that he's modeling what leadership is. So whoever his successor is, they should take on the same approach that he has and more when it comes to how I reach my customers. When I used to hire people, I don't know who told me that. They didn't tell me that exact story, but they told me something similar to that. They said, you hire for your replacement. Absolutely. You hire for your replacement because you don't be in that role. You want to grow into another role and you've got to pick somebody that you can groom to take over for you. Absolutely. 
people find that as a threat to the, to their to their their control mechanism. They find that as a threat. To they don't. It's like, no, nah, why am I going to somebody take my job? Well, isn't that what leadership's about? Insecurity, fear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that has no place in leadership, but unfortunately, it is prevalent. And what we need is our leaders to be mature enough to understand it's bigger than them, but it's about the bigger, the greater good. And most right. don't get that because they love their own world that they create. Well, you know, you brought up Simon Sinek's uh, name, and, and he had a quote saying, leadership has nothing to do with your title, your job. Mm-hmm. That's no. authority. Leadership is the positive effect that you have on another person. Absolutely. Not negative, not negative effect. Absolutely, absolutely. Positive effect. And and if more people would embrace that simple concept of insecurity, control, uh, the quest for power, the quest for I'm the person. And it's, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's me, 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 me. No, it's about no, you're fail. Uh, John Maxwell had a good thing about what leadership is. He says nothing but influence. Leadership is influence. That's it. Your ability to influence, not manipulate, because there's a difference, but to influence a certain behavior to drive a certain result. And he said, if you think you're leading people and nobody's following you, then you're just having a walk. (laughs) I love it. If you think you're leading and no one's following you, all you're doing is taking a walk. I love it. Yeah, the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> no clothes. But we've all worked for these types of these types of individuals. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. we learned a lot from the what not to do. Yes. And I tell you, if we had time, Peter, I can talk to you about some of my naval experience and what I learned from the leaders there. I had one very good leader and I had one very terrible toxic, mean, hateful, racist. Oh, he was awful. He's dead now, so I can talk about him. So, <laughs> yeah, he died years ago, bless his heart. I hope he knew the Lord. But anyway, uh, he was he was not he was not nice to, to most people. So not mm. only was he, and it's not just from a racist perspective, but I just think he was an unhappy person. And so he made, he wanted everybody to be unhappy. Yeah. And that's a sad place to be because all that mm. means is, is there's a lot of wounds and hurt that has never been healed or he's never dealt with. And so he just deflects it and put it on everybody else. But I learned from him though. One of mm. the greatest lessons I learned is how to treat people. Because I, you know, the whole thing is treat people how you want to be treated. Right. How about treat people how they want to be treated instead of you assuming that they want to be treated the way you want to be treated? Because we may see them differently. But the only way you're gonna know that um, unless you create psychological safety to find out how they want to be treated. Right. And listen to them and respect what they're saying. And and if you're asking how you like to be treated, then make sure you follow up and treat them that way. Exactly. Oh, but that, but that but that makes the job hard because now it's like an a la carte kind of thing. I just can't do one thing and just brush it over everybody. That's the easy approach, right? Nothing about life is easy. <laughs> Nothing about running the organization is easy. So if someone has a leader that has that mindset, you're in the wrong business. Yeah. You're gonna have a constant state of frustration because that's just not reality. No, it's, reality. it's not it's it's not reality at all. The beauty of good leadership is you have the the wonderful platform to impact someone that you may never know how so. Say that again, please. You may, as a, being a good leader, you have the position and platform to influence people 
that you may never know just how much you have influenced them because they take what they've seen. So most things in life are caught versus being taught. And so oftentimes they can see and observe from afar and say that right there, that's what I want to take from this guy. And I want to be a leader like that. I want to be a leader that doesn't mind rolling up my sleeves and getting alongside the people who make a little bit above minimum wage and work with them. Like the CEO of that insurance company. Mm -hmm. That guy makes a lot of money. But those people in claims probably making what, maybe $40,000, $50,000 a year. But he's not afraid to get on that level and say, hey, listen, I can do what you're doing. And even though he may not know all those people personally, I guarantee some have taken something away from that experience. Wouldn't you? Is your boss out there giving people his personal cell phone number? Oh, so here's the end of that story. So I sent the guy an email. I sent him an email and uh, and I said, I just want to appreciate the fact that you took the time to share that's what you think may be a small piece of information by offering your cell phone number to people to call you on your personal cell. I said, that's the kind of leadership that is needed uh, today. His response back to me was, it was my pleasure. But just as much as that was a pleasure, you have made my day by reminding me of that. There you go. Boom. Boom. So as we're talking, a name just popped into my head, Herb Keller, who was the CEO of Southwest Airlines. He was one of the the three founders, two or three founders of Southwest Airlines. And his philosophy was that people are our greatest asset. And in the airline industry, layoffs were prevalent. Mm -hmm. We will not lay off anybody. We will cut other costs, maybe training or whatever, but we will Mm -hmm. keep our people. We'll let natural attrition take place. And he was known to speak to baggage handlers the same way he would speak to the board of directors. And, and, as, and when you would describe me, I'm like, that, that, that was Herb Keller. He, he, they described him as a chain smoking Jack Daniel chucking kind of guy. He, he passed. Uh, but that was, that was his leadership style. And this goes back 20 some odd years or more. I think there's something special about people like him um, that. I think, again, not to be redundant, I think should be shared more broadly, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And not that everybody has to take on the same style, but the theme of how they lead, Mm -hmm. um, the fruit Mm -hmm. by which they lead should be evident in their organizations and their cultures and those that follow them. It's, if they can take on the the mantra of servant leadership. Mm Mm-hmm. Take on that Absolutely. mantra of, of being uh, of gratitude. Yes. And gracious and kind. They will be 10 times more successful than those who choose the opposite. I agree. My, my opinion. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I'd like to add to that. I believe that when you talk about leaders, they typically are ones who obviously make a whole lot more money because they're the leader of the organization, right? So mm-hmm. understand that there's some deficiencies there, but that'd be a whole other mm-hmm. podcast to talk about. <laughs> but I think that having that type of access, having that type of affluence, I think plays a part in how they constantly are feeding me, me, me. Mm-hmm. Because many of them can do by whatever they want, whenever they want, and sometimes how, how much they want, yeah. right? Right. That feeds the human spirit and almost give place to be selfish. Mm-hmm. And that transcends into how they lead. Right. Because when you're constantly feeding what you want, then it's going to transcend into your leadership. 
until somebody brings it to your attention. And even if they bring it to your attention, if you're not in a place to receive feedback, then that that person's not going to get fired without unemployment. So, you know, there's a number of ways to approach that type of person. Uh, I think it takes someone very wise. Uh, almost like, and I hate to use this example, but this is what comes to mind. So just go with me. So everybody's heard of King David in the Bible. Even today, what he did would make headlines. How are you going to take somebody else's wife and then send a husband on the battlefield to be killed so you can have her? That's scandalous Mm -hmm. today. But his old buddy, Nathan, gave him a scenario and talked about someone who did the same thing. And he said, that man shall be put to death. And he said, my Lord, it is you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need a Nathan. So we can really see and hear how we're showing up. And then when we when we have our own personal Nathans to tell us about ourselves, it would be tragic not to take that counsel, but to continue on in your own stinking thinking ways. And I'm afraid many leaders today, they have created such an environment that people are terrified to be a Nathan, to tell them how they're showing up. And that is why dysfunction has run so rampant in our corporate environments. My opinion. You can't um, sue me. I can't sue you. I, I can't follow that, though. I mean, that was, I, you know, I was just looking at the time. We got, we're going to start wrapping up. But I think that's, I mean, there's no, I don't think there's no better way than this podcast than what you just said. Mm-hmm. That was powerful. That was emotion. That that was a story. And it, and it Leaves this audience really thinking, who's their Nathan? Who's your Nathan? And and are you willing to listen to Nathan and take it in and change? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to push Nathan away and go, you don't know what you're talking about? Ruben, I can't thank you enough taking time out. Uh, you know, I, by the way, I, I just noticed something. Um, you know, you wanted to get you wanted to get to the five. <laughs> you right. during, during the during the podcast, I got a great. Well, let's take a whole other podcast. Well, I, got, I take I don't. You, you just you just pushed out two more podcast episodes that you want to be on. So then you'd be up to four. So you got to cool. come up with figure out one more. <laughs> let's do that. You know what? Let's make the next podcast we do. How do we identify our own personal Nathan? Everyone needs someone that can really get in our grit and give us good counsel on how to be better. You're on. You're on. Let's do that. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how can they find you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, You can find me anywhere. No, you can go to my website, www.rubenminer.com, and you will find there uh, that it is Ram Consulting Group, and we are a speaking, training, and coaching organization. And uh, we would love to hear from you if you're looking for advice, counsel, uh, coaching on how to become a better you in your professional world, in your personal world, and also to help uncover your personal why. Why are you doing what you're doing? And if you don't like what you're doing, then let's figure out why that is and how we can map out what you were designed to do. We all were born with a specific design and purpose. And if you're not doing that, you're missing out. Now, don't be like me. Wait till you get in your late 40s, almost 50, figure out, oh, I know what I want to do when I grow up now. Yeah, let's figure that out a little earlier so you can have more satisfaction in life. So look us up. So give them one more piece of information. You mm-hmm. you said at the beginning, you sing. 
and I know I know you've got some songs that have been published. I guess is that the right word? Yes. Can you tell our eyes where they could find your music? Oh my gosh, Peter. <laughs> so I wasn't ready for that one. So my music, <laughs> uh, actually, I, I what I will do is this. I have a song that's out. You can find it's called Healing Grace. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on um, uh, Apple Music. You can find it on Spotify. Everywhere you can find streaming music, you can find that song uh, called Healing Grace by Ruben Minor. And I am working on some new material. In fact, I just got the mix back from another song the other day. Uh, I don't like the mix. I think there's some things I want to have change. But nevertheless, there's more music coming. My son and I wrote a song together and he's going to do a part. He's actually wrote the rap for it. So that's coming out as well. So there's new music coming. Uh, You can go to Facebook and look me up, Ruben A. Minor Music. And you'll find me there as well. And so leave me a message. Tell me if you like it. Tell me if you don't like it. I'm not sensitive. Well, I am about certain <laughs> things, but I, I appreciate honesty. How's that? Yeah. And, and for those of you just learning about Ruby now, I learned a while back that about his singing, and he actually showed me a video of him singing the national anthem at the Cincinnati Reds game. And then in the first podcast interview at the end, I asked him to, I'm not going to ask you to sing now, but I asked you to sing, and man, you belted it out, man. I get goosebumps. <laughs> he said the Star Spangled Banner. But Ruben, thank you so very much. It's a pleasure always to be in your company. It's a pleasure having Absolutely. these conversations. I look forward to many, many more. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, man. I look forward to it as well. I want to thank Ruben for his thoughts and ideas on why everyone needs to grasp the importance of developing one's emotional intelligence. Remember, there are people who prefer to say yes and there are people who prefer to say no. Those who say yes are rewarded by the adventures they have, and those who say no are rewarded by the safety they attain. Be a yes person. Thank you, and be safe out there. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.